Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We all have tasks we'd like to avoid, like mailing and shipping. It takes time lugging all those letters and packages to the post office. That's why you should try Stamps.com. For 25 years, Stamps.com has made mailing and shipping easy. You get all the services of the post office right on your computer, anytime. No traffic, no waiting, no hassle. Plus, you save money with discounts up to 84% on USPS and UPS. With Stamps.com, all you need is a computer and printer. Print stamps, print shipping labels, and if you sell products online, Stamps.com connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart, so you can spend less time on shipping and more time on your business. Get started with Stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com and enter code PROGRAM. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, J.N. Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. Hello and welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Nate Metz. Today we have a double, uh, for you, double interviews. I have Brendan Brzezinski, uh, our, one of our contributors over at Blue Wings Rising, who is joining us uh, to do a recap of the last week or so uh, in sports. Um, and then we're going to do a brief look ahead to Harvard because looking at it, unfortunately, doesn't doesn't uh, warrant having its own episode for that, but that's okay. Uh, so we, we, we can talk about that. But first, I have an interview with uh, with uh, Caleb Henry, who helps cover the Nebraska Cornhuskers. He is helping me to preview the upcoming game this evening between Kansas 
the Kansas Jayhawk women and the Nebraska Cornhuskers uh, up in Lincoln. So I'm not going to uh, drag this out at all. I'm going to go ahead and get you right on over to Caleb first, and then after the break, we will head over to Brendan. And I am joined now by Caleb Henry. He is the sports director over at KLIN Radio and also a writer for all Huskers here on the Sports uh, the Sports Illustrated Fan Nation Network. He is here to help us talk about this Nebraska Cornhuskers uh, women's basketball team before the huge matchup that is coming up tonight uh, between these two teams. How you doing? Hey, I'm great, Andy. It's always good when we can get some of the Fan Nation guys together. Yeah, exactly. That's one of the you know good advantages of being on Fan Nation. Um, I know that's why I I like the uh, the 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 networks get the opportunity to find people who naturally just know more about the teams that they're getting ready to play. So uh, I love doing these, and and that was kind of the entire point, right, of this podcast was to make sure that I am uh, that I am able to find people that actually know about the teams that we're getting ready to talk about, actually know about the topics that we want to discuss. So that topic being the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Um, you know, there are a lot of Kansas fans who are fairly new to women's basketball, so don't really know what the landscape looks like, um, myself included. I only started following probably about three, four years ago, like actually following um, as much as I possibly could. And that was because I got, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on a, te- on a uh, Big 12 network, I'm sorry, a Big 12 podcast that uh, covers, you know, with someone who actually covers women's basketball and is a play-by-play. So, um, I, I'm definitely interested in it. I want to know more about it, but I don't really have any context for how good this this Nebraska team has been historically, and how the like what what the expectations were for this season. So let's let's go ahead and start there. Nebraska is getting votes in the AP poll. Um, you know they are kind of on the cusp of breaking into the top twenty five if they can get some results to go their way. Um, how has this team kind of lived up to the expectations they have coming into the year? Well, and expectations coming into this year were bigger than what they were last year because of what last year's team was able to do. Made it to the conference tournament semifinals in a really tough Big Ten league. Um, If you make the semifinals in the Big Ten, you're expecting to at least get a win in the NCAA tournament. Now, Nebraska didn't. They got knocked out by Gonzaga in the the first round, but Nebraska hadn't been there for several years. So there there was a, a big learning curve. They were playing a couple of freshman starters. (laughs) <laughs> um, which again, that makes it really hard to do at, at a power five school like this. Um, but they brought a lot of talent back. They did lose to the transfer portal. One of their bigs, um, possibly their best clutch guard, Sam Hybe. She's, she's played in two games now, uh, played in their last game out this past weekend, but she's been injured. She got hurt in the preseason with her knee. And that's someone that, when you need a bucket, she's the one that you want to go get it. So they're still working her back into the rotation. So it's really fallen on a lot of other a lot of other guards to handle the ball. Um, and that was the other thing. Nebraska lost a, a pretty good guard off of last year's team. So you, you're trying to figure out who's going to handle the ball in certain situations. Jazz Shelley does the, the main parts of that. She was all Big Ten last year, probably going to be all Big Ten this year. She's gotten some run with the Australian national team. Uh, quick little guard. She can shoot the ball. If she gets going, like it's really hard to stop her through the first two games in the big 10, she's averaging 30 a game, um, which is okay for literally anyone not named Caitlin Clark. Like for Caitlin Clark, you're just like, okay, she does that. But if anyone else is averaging 30, so that's uh, Jazz Shelley, another guard who tries to get in the lane and is left-handed Allison Widener, very small town here in Nebraska. And she started, she was one of the starters 
that got a lot more run towards the end of last year when she took over that position. And of course, Alexis Markowski in stage inside. She was the big 10 freshman of the year last year, six foot three. Um, she's preseason, all big 10 averaging just shy of a double double on the year. She had uh, her last couple of games. She's gotten double doubles despite being only six, three. Um, and I know Kansas is going to throw six, five at her. Um, she seems to play bigger than what that six, three is. Her dad, Andy played at Nebraska back in the nineties. Um, and, and he was a, he was a big guy from a small town in central Nebraska. So this team, can spread the ball around a little bit. They want to drive on you. They want to get into transition. They will take a lot of threes if the threes are there. Uh, I believe in the very first regular season game of the year, Nebraska had every single player that saw the court made a three. That includes 6'3", Alexis Markowski. Um, now, now, a little wrinkle that Nebraska has that we'll see if Kansas is is ready for it is, a volleyball player, Maggie Mendelson, six foot five, got her first run this past weekend. In nine minutes, she scored nine points, had three rebounds, three block shots. Just finished up a volleyball season 10 days before that. So there's a lot of athleticism. I don't know how much basketball shape she's in. Maybe she'll get 15 minutes, but that's just a nice little wrinkle that Nebraska is now going to be able to bring off the bench the rest of the year. And it'll be a big test for her as she's gotten some run with some USA teams, both volleyball and basketball. But what can she do when she sees someone who's the real deal that, that Kansas has inside? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I, was, I was actually going to go ahead and ask about her because she is kind of that, that weapon that you can't plan for, right? Because she hasn't been there on the team, working with the team and and appearing in games because she's been so focused on volleyball. Uh, and so, you know, it's definitely one of those things where I don't, you know, she, she's an unknown factor. It's going to be difficult, I think, to know how Tiana Jackson and how the rest of the Kansas interior players are going to be able to handle what it is she brings, especially if she's, you know, there as kind of a, a change up, uh, you know, a, a kind of do things just a little bit differently, throw a different look at you type of thing. Cause mm-hmm. the, the one thing that we can say about Tiana Jackson is that, yeah, she has been able to turn it on for a quarter or two, um, you know, in the middle of games, but she either comes out extremely comfortable or it takes her a little bit of time to get comfortable. And it's only when you can tell that she's comfortable on the court when she starts just completely dominating. So if Nebraska can make things a little bit tough for her or change things up enough so that she doesn't really know what to expect, they can make it more difficult. The question, of course, is, is it going to be enough for Nebraska to just stop what Tyana Jackson does? So mm-hmm. um, you've you know, talked quite quite a bit about the inside. Um, you know, Zakiah Franklin, the freshman, I'm sorry, the not freshman, the senior point guard uh, for the... For the Jayhawks, you know, she has – she actually just won Big 12 Player of the Week. Um, she had a phenomenal performance, you know, especially with, with Holly Kersgeeter out in the blowout win that Kansas had against Tulsa. And, and probably the biggest, you know, kind of elephant in the room there is that Kansas has won eight straight games by 19 or more points. You know, all of them were, were 20 or more until they, lo- until they they lost the streak by only beating Tulsa by 19 um, without Holly Kersgeeter, uh, you know, their, their senior – star player who was uh, selected for the all big 12 preseason list. So um, how, how does Nebraska counter what they can do on the outside, especially if Kansas can start to get hot from three? Yeah, it, it's going to come down to getting a lot of that, that pressure. Can you get, can you get 15 minutes from Sam Hybe on the floor? Can, can she give your guards a little bit because jazz Shelley, she'll go out and she'll, She'll attack um, any of the guards that she's matched up with. Allison Widener, the, the sophomore, she, she's going to be 
she just seems really aggressive whenever she goes out and she has an assignment on defense. And a lot of times she's been taking the point guard as well. Um, so that might be a, a big move for for the second-year player. You've also got off the bench, Callan Haight comes in. She's a freshman from Minnesota, one of the best scorers there. So that's, again, just kind of another changeup to come in. Kendall Moriarty brings in some good minutes. Um, and you've got Ani Stewart, who can play both outside and inside. And it's going to be, I think, what Nebraska is going to want to do to counter that is just get out in transition as much as possible. If Nebraska control the pace. You you keep that ball away, but you're also scoring. It can kind of, um, I mean, it, it's simple basketball. If you have the ball, you go down and score. You try to take away any momentum for the other team. One thing that I don't think Nebraska is going to have in this one tonight, at least I haven't gotten word on it, is Izzy Bourne. Uh, she's a forward, six foot two. She plays both outside and inside. She'll she'll guard point guards. She'll guard centers. And Nebraska hasn't had her for the last few weeks. She hurt her shoulder in a practice um, earlier this December. So that that's a weapon that Nebraska doesn't have. But what but what that means is Nebraska does tend to play a little bit smaller with a lot of their players up until they got Maggie Mendelson um, playing for them. It's hard to play smaller when you bring a six five girl in. But yeah, I think what a lot of Nebraska is going to try to do is really play tough defense on the perimeter, knowing that you do have a six, five shot blocker that you can bring in, in the middle. And Nebraska had that a couple years ago with Kate Kane, um, who was the school's all time leading shot blocker. And now you have another six, five athletic person um, in the middle that has really good timing, really good hands and when Nebraska had those teams with a with a solid shot blocker, Alexis Markowski had three blocks in the last game, but she's not just like this astounding shot blocker at six foot three. She's got really good timing and she'll be really physical with people. She'll get some block shots, but it's so much different what we saw in the few minutes with Maggie Mendelson and what you saw with the Kate Kane teams a few years ago for Amy Williams were really aggressive guards that took a lot of chances because there was someone inside that was going to at least alter a shot, even if they didn't block it. I think that's what Nebraska is now going to try to build. If they can get more minutes for Maggie Mendelson, that might be something down the road. Nebraska might not have that quite tonight with their defense as they try to be aggressive on the perimeter, but also knowing they don't quite have that inside presence at the moment. Yeah, j just a couple more things I wanted to kind of jump into here before we uh, get out of here for the day. Um, you know, looking over the the page for the Nebraska Cornhuskers over at CBB Analytics, that's the the website we use that actually has full advanced statistical analysis for both uh, men and women's basketball. Absolutely love what they're doing there. But I see a lot of red in some, in some spots that uh, potentially could be some problems with the way that Kansas plays. Specifically, I'm talking about um, it looks like they're not a very good offensive rebounding team, especially in their last five. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they they have some issues in terms of trying to get out on the fast break. Uh, I don't know if that's like a, a defense not creating opportunities or just not really being able to kind of get out and actually do it. Um, and, and while they are definitely a very good three-point shooting team, um, it seems like they, uh, they they probably have some some issues on the inside, at least a little bit, just looking at, at where some of those percentages are. So uh, of those three... Um, which one do you think is probably the biggest issue that they have to try to get under control tonight to, to keep Kansas from, from running away with the game? Well, there, there's the, there's the part on the transition, but I would say it would actually be a, a different one. It would be Nebraska, not turning the ball over. 
Now they Nebraska had twenty plus turnovers against Wyoming, and um, Wyoming I think was six and three going into that game. Um, so not a bad team. They're over five hundred, but that's not a team that you turn the ball over twenty times against. Even though they still won by almost thirty, Nebraska has gotten into turnover trouble over the course of this year at times you saw it against Creighton you saw it against Drake those were Nebraska's first two uh, losses earlier in the year on the road and then they lost to uh, a top 10 Virginia Tech team on the road and what happened was Nebraska got into turnover trouble and when Nebraska is not able to get a rhythm on offense that's the part where they start to miss a lot more shots because they're not able to have the ball and not not able to get a lot of those good looks up so for Nebraska it's going to be yeah, getting out in transition, but when you do get out in transition, actually getting a good look um, as opposed to Nebraska will get into transition and they'll turn it over, which, I mean, that, that's that's what you're going to want if you're Kansas because you get that ball right back, you can go take advantage and have that momentum and get it to your scores. Yeah, and that's actually something that Kansas has been pretty good at is that when they do turn the ball over, they usually are right there to have an opportunity to get it right back. So mm-hmm. um, it sounds like that plays directly into what Kansas likes to do. Kansas loves yeah. to play fast. Um, this is this is a team that I think can play a bunch of different styles, though, which makes it difficult. It is still kind of an open question. I have not seen confirmation whether Holly Kirkgeeter is going to be available for this game. Um, I'm I'm leaning towards, based off of what I've heard, that she probably is going to be available, but I have not yet, as of when we're recording this, um, heard one way or another for sure. But, um, you know, one, one just final thing. How much has rebounding been an issue for Nebraska? Because I see that they're not that great offensive rebounding-wise, um, which could potentially be an issue because Kansas gets a lot of second-chance points. It, it hasn't been overall a, a giant issue for Nebraska. You'll see it at times where a team will come in and get some rebounds, but uh, but there are some athletic guards that Nebraska runs down there. You see Allison Widener attack the paint, and Markowski because she's almost averaging a double-double, you know she's going to grab rebounds, and Ani Stewart, and that was actually one of them, Bella Cravens from last year, would be that player that would go just, she was there to kind of Dennis Rodman the whole thing up. She was going to go get rebounds, and she was going to mess some people up and then throw them around a little bit. Nebraska doesn't quite have that. Now, maybe they end up getting that with Mendelssohn now that she's here to give some minutes, uh, but yeah, it's mostly been Alexis Markowski is going to grab as much as she can. Everyone else is going to pitch in a little bit. Widener's been working on her rebounding a lot. That's another thing that they're missing with Sam Hybe, her, the the small athletic guard. But she would go in and she would attack the defensive glass um, and not not allow the other team to get that. So yeah, Nebraska struggled with that a little bit more than you expected as you were getting into the fall and wondering what this team was really going to look like. But it's not something that's been so much of an issue that it's costing them games. That's yeah, okay, that that sounds fair. That that sounds like it's a good thing. It should at least allow for hopefully an entertaining game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it is one of those things, while while it is great to see Kansas being as good as they are, I I, I do kind of miss having some some drama when we get to the end of games. So I'm hoping <laughs> that this will be a good one on the road. Um, Nebraska is kind of already started with conference play. This is the final non-conference game for the Kansas Jayhawks. What is that like? you know, getting started with conference play prior to actually finishing that non-conference slate. Does this, does this cause any kind of issues trying to go in and out of conference play or is it kind of just the way that the schedule and, and everybody's used to it at this point? No, I think everyone's used to it. And you see it in the, in the, the men as well, because Nebraska men's basketball just wrapped up their non-conference schedule last night, but they've also played a couple of conference games. So for Nebraska, and especially the way that they started where you had to go on the road at Maryland, 
They win by 23 against a ranked Terrapins team, and Nebraska had zero all-time wins against Maryland. So that was the first one in program history. You get that, you come home, you just kind of lay a butt whoop into Wisconsin, and then you roll things back a little bit with Samford and Wyoming with a couple of easier non-conference games, and then you get to ramp it right back up. Really tough non-con here. I'm glad the old Big 12, Big 8 teams, whenever they get to play again, uh, my dad pitched at Kansas, so I always like when we get a little rock chalk happening with the Nebraska teams. Um, but then it rolls right back into conference play. So I like the little change up that it gives where you get into your conference games, but then you kind of get to take a little bit of a breather as you get through Christmas and then you really ramp up into the conference season. Yeah, it's it's kind of similar to what like the Big 12 is doing in football where they'll have one or two games that happen in you know week two or three. Um, that you just dip your toe into into conference play and then kind of get back, and, and then of course the men's side, you know, on on basketball they have the the Big Twelve SEC Challenge, um, but yeah, I mean, so so it's one of those things, you know, where where it's it's come, becoming more and more commonplace, I think, as they try to get more creative with schedules and kind of get things brought in. But like you said, I am very happy that we were able to kind of rekindle an old Big Twelve rivalry. Um, you know, Nebraska was probably the one team, them, them in Colorado, for whatever reason, I was rooting for those two teams, partly, I think, because, you know, basketball had not been necessarily the best sport for them. Um, mm-hmm. but it was also just kind of easy to root for them in, in basketball as well. So, but okay, final, final question. Let's, let's go ahead and wrap up here. Um, how do you think this game is going to go? Whether that's a score prediction or kind of a general flow of the game or whatever it is, how do you think that this game is going to kind of, unfold for the Jayhawks and the Cornhuskers. Well, Nebraska's come out the last few games slow in the first half, and I don't necessarily see that changing. The The team just got done with finals week. Um, it is really freaking cold here right now. I feel like that's just going to carry over into Pinnacle Bank Arena, and Nebraska's not going to come out uh, particularly fast. I think Kansas will. Um, now, once you get to the second half, Nebraska has really turned it on. I think Nebraska is going to do that, but it's not quite going to be enough. If I had to uh, harbor a guess, I would think Kansas is going to win by probably seven, eight points tonight. But if Nebraska does come out uh, and start a game the way that they haven't over the last couple of weeks, that could definitely make things interesting and give give the Huskers a little something that they haven't had for a while. Yeah, I'll, I'll be very interested because I think that Kansas is a team that starts pretty slow as well. Um, kind of trying to feeling out what it is they have on that particular night and you know how everything. But the thing that doesn't, you know, go away is the way that their defense plays. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think this is one of those things where this is a team that could, that could win a defensive battle and keep their opponent from scoring 50 if they needed to, to win that way. Um, or once you start to open things up, it kind of naturally relaxes a little bit. Yes. They use a lot of defense to get and feed their offense a lot. Um, but you could get a, a higher scoring game if the margin starts to increase. Um, so I'll be interested to kind of see how Kansas comes out in this one as well. Are they going to lock down super well early and not necessarily be able to hit some shots and it stays pretty close? Or are they going to get, you know, kind of going pretty quickly offensively? Um, second half defense, though, is has been much, much better across the mm. entire season um, than it has been in the first half. And that's, you know, taking into account also that, that, that Arizona game on the road where they just completely clamped down and stopped anything that Arizona wanted to do. So... I, I have a feeling that this is going to be a comfortable Kansas win. The question is going to be how long is it going to take for it to be comfortable? Is it going to only get comfortable in the last three or four minutes? 
when Nebraska runs out of gas because of the suffocating defense, or is Kansas going to be dealing with injury issues or you know other potential things, and it's going to be nice and tight all the way until the very end until they can breathe a sigh of relief. So, all right, well. Thank you so much for joining me, Caleb. Uh, for those that want to get more information about this team and kind of follow what the Huskers are doing, what's, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can always keep up to date, read all of my, the stories that I write at allhuskers.com. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Henry. That's I-K-L-E-B-H-E-N-R-Y. Here on the Rock Chalk Podcast, we are proud to be sponsored by Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. We got t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, so much more. Um, they you know, are adding new stuff all the time, and they have over 140 different lines already. So uh, I guarantee if you head on over there, you're going to find something that you are absolutely going to love with a vintage logo that you are just going to fall in love with completely. I have way too much stuff, and I'm always looking to add more because I keep finding stuff. And I do that by heading over to homefieldapparel.com. If you use promo code CHALK12, you can get 15% off your entire first order. And all orders over $100 have free shipping. Boom! Bosco's Boys is here. I think we all wanted it. And the marriage is officially official. I'm so pumped to bring my show to the 1012 Network. Bosco's Boys, the most consistent K-State podcast out there. Over four years with at least one episode a week. Bringing live shows to the listeners and to the participants every Wednesday at 7 p.m. I'm pumped to be here and I would love it if you guys came over to Bosco's Boys and gave us a listen. Because we are not Big J Journos. This is a podcast by a fan and his dog for fellow K-State and Big 12 fans. And I can't wait to chop it up with all the members and fans of the 1012 network. And I'm joined now by Brendan Dwersinski. He is one of our writers over at Blue Wings Rising. And of course, he is host of 580 Sports Talk over on WIBW in Topeka. Brendan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. It's been a little while since we had you on, but look, yep. we are smack dab in the middle of basketball season again. Um, I am ready for what has been a fantastic year so far, not just on the men's side, but also on the women's side. And so I want to go ahead and actually start there. Haven't, you know, heard from you specifically about your thoughts on that. So like the women have started out 10 to 0. They have a huge game coming up against Nebraska. Um, you know, we actually in the, in the first segment had, had a preview of that game, but what have your thoughts been about what the women have done and kind of like, what are your, just like your main takeaways from this start to the season for them? Well, I'll tell you this much, and this is going to sound like a complete no-duh take, but I'm more optimistic now than I was at the start of the year. I think I said it, it might have been at the end of the uh, end of the spring when we kind of did our KU Seasons in Review podcast, and I had mentioned that, look, I've never been a Brandon Schneider guy. I was as hard on Brandon Schneider as anybody through the first, whatever it was, six or seven years, I think six years of his tenure, and I thought, man, like, I get he's a local dude and he's got local ties, but come on. Like, you've got to expect more. Last year, I remember saying, and I, I thought it was awesome and it was a great year for the program, but I, I want more. Like, I want you to prove that this is not a one-hit wonder. This isn't, you know, to make a men's basketball comparison, this isn't Frank Martin at South Carolina. Like, whoa, this team made a Final Four out of nowhere, and then they never made the tournament after that. Like, prove to me that this is actually the start of something, not just a blip on the radar. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I know this isn't, you know, they're not playing South Carolina and Stanford and whatnot during the early part of the schedule, but 
man, you've got a ranked win over Arizona. You've got a dominant road ranked win over Arizona. You've got multiple power conference teams on this schedule. Another win, 19 points over Tulsa this past Friday. I mean, they're winning and they're winning decisively. And that's always what I like when you play lesser teams, lesser opponents. You should be able to wipe the floor with them. And number 20 team in the country. Yeah, you should be able to beat Tulsa. Well, at the time, 22, you should be able to beat Tulsa by 19 points. Take Wichita State down by 20. We mentioned the 27-point win over Arizona. Those are the last three. I mean, I, I'm i not going to say that I, I'm the number one expert on the KU women's team, but this is exactly what I was hoping for going into this year. That, look, the Big 12 is going to be a gauntlet. We know how tough it is on the men's side. It is just as tough on the women's side. You've got so many good programs, so much talent, so many good coaches. But put yourself in a good position going into that part of the schedule, both in terms of resume for eventually when we get to the NCAA tournament come March, but also in terms of momentum and confidence for the players. And again, for people like me, who I think deservedly were skeptics over the last few years and throughout last year, build a little confidence for us. That's exactly what this team has done. Zakiya Franklin is your Big 12 Women's Basketball Player of the Week. That is tremendous for her. She's been playing really well on the offensive end lately. This is a group that bringing so much talent back from last year, you would expect they would be able to do it again, and they have been. And the fact that they've been repeating it, that that gives me a lot of confidence about where this program is going. I know it took a long time. I'm still not going to jump on the, the Schneider bandwagon necessarily, but I you have to give credit where it's due, and he's done a great job turning this program around. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things, regardless of what you feel about the long-term, right, uh, you know, for Brandon Schneider, like whether you think that Brandon Schneider is the answer long-term, if he can continue to do that, this group of players have really bought into what it is that he does. And it's a perfect mesh of players and coach to be able to get the kind of results that they're getting. So, you know, again, no idea if this is something that's going to be able to continue after this, this core group of, you know, Kershgeeter and Jackson and uh, Zakiah Franklin, like all of these players have moved on and graduated, but this is a team that is playing together really well. Like right now, um, you know, they have the trust of their coach. The coach has the trust of the team and they have been doing everything. Like, you know, they, they talked all the time in the, the preseason during big 12 media days, everything talking about how this is a team that wanted a bigger challenge. This is a team that wanted the difficulty of the schedule to step up. So they got that Arizona game on the schedule. They got the Texas A&M game on the schedule. They got the Nebraska game on the schedule. Those were all recent additions. Like they ramped up the difficulty of this schedule and have passed it with flying colors. I, I, I admit that I was a little worried when, you know, they won the first two games barely. Um, but since then, they've had 20-point wins with the exception of the game against Tulsa. And the thing you have to remember against Tulsa is that Holly Kersgeeter was out with some undisclosed. I, I have no idea what the reasoning was. The, honestly, it doesn't matter what the reasoning was. Um, there's talk about she might be back for this Nebraska game. They might just wait till after the holiday to have her come back. But either way, this is a team that's shown it's capable, even when one of their main players, you know, is out, that they have that opportunity to be able to run away with a game. Um, you know, the other thing that, that has been somewhat impressive that I, I think a lot of people haven't realized, and it, it took me a little while to actually realize this, one of the main reserves that they have, Iona Hatsileonti, who has been really, really good in this last, you know, five-game stretch, um, you know, she was out for multiple games early in the stretch as well. So, like, this is a team that has been dealing with some injury issues, ha- dealing with some unavailable players, and has still just ab- been absolutely dominant for a large portion. Um, you look at the Big 12 standings right now. You look at the way that this conference is shaping up. And with the issues that Texas is having and the injuries that they're dealing with, and Baylor isn't, you know, Baylor's good, but they're not quite a Baylor good, like what we're used to seeing. Like, right now, the two favorites probably to win the conference are Iowa State and Kansas. 
And if you had told me that last year, I don't know that I would have believed you because this is a this was a stacked conference last year. Kansas finished fifth. They were picked fifth coming into this year. It's another stacked conference this year. And, you know, fortunately for the Jayhawks, they have been able to avoid a lot of the worst of some of the, the ailments that are that are affecting some of the other teams that are out there. So, you know, Kansas State lost Ioka Lee before the, the season even started. Like, there have been a lot of teams that have dealt with a lot of injuries. So, all right, super excited about the women's basketball team, and hopefully we can be talking next week about them as a still undefeated team as they're getting ready to go into conference play. But let's jump over to the men because the men have been impressive themselves. I thought that they were going to match the women's 19-point victory against Indiana, and then Cam Martin had to go ahead and hit a three uh, to to push the final margin to 22 instead. But Kansas absolutely dominated Indiana, pretty much start to finish in this game. Um, looking at this game, like, was there one particular thing that stood out to you as the reason for why that happened, or was this just another instance of Kansas continuing to develop and continuing to find things from all over the place? Well, the one reason why I think it happened this way is that is one of the best defensive performances, if not the best single game defensive performances that I have seen from any program in college basketball this year. That was a clinic defensively from KU. Most steals they've had in a game in over a decade, I believe it was since 2011 at the very least. I believe that's what Chris Tyson and the KU men's SID said. They were unbelievable. Grady Dick scored 20 points and he might have been better on the defensive end for a large portion of that game than he was on the offensive end. He has grown into a defensive player or a better defensive player anyway so quickly so much faster than I thought he would uh, that's extremely encouraging Kevin McCuller is unbelievable defensively he just makes every right play Dwan Harris we know how good he is that's the number one thing for me is that KU made Indiana change its game plan IU plays a very kind of old school, so to speak, style of basketball. They want to pound it inside. They want to get a ton of looks for Trace Jackson Davis, who's a very good player. He was a preseason All-American for a reason. He came into this weekend, 16.8 points a game, shot nearly 65% from the floor. I think it was 64.5% to be exact. KU held him scoreless for the first 18 and a half minutes of the game. He didn't score until there was 129 left in the first half. They made Indiana shoot the three way more than IU likes to. They shot it 19 times. I think it was 14 in the first half. IU doesn't want to play that way. And I know they lost Xavier Johnson. That sucks for them. You feel bad for him. He's a really nice player. One of the better point guards in the Big Ten. But they weren't winning, even if X was able to be on the court the entire time. That was one of the best defensive games. And it you can tell, because I think basketball defense is one of those things that, and I'm not calling anyone out here, but I think a lot of people say, oh, yeah, defense uh, looks great, or the, the defense is really struggling. But I think the the common fan or the common person doesn't really know exactly what every matchup is supposed to look like or what every single defensive set is supposed to look like. And I'm not going to lie to you and say, I know exactly what every defensive possession is going to look like or is supposed to look like. But when you have a game where you can tell Yes, Kevin McCullough is doing the right thing every time and is making a ton of plays. Grady Dick on the ball looks awesome. Dewan Harris, as always, is doing the exact right thing. That's, I think, a perfect way to know, yeah, the defense is clicking because it just looks like a well-oiled machine. That's the number one reason why KU won. But I'll give you this for maybe the most impressive part of it, Andy. Jalen Wilson stunk offensively. Like, yeah, he got to double figures. He got to 11 points. And... I love Jalen Wilson. He has been sensational. You and I talked about him a lot last year in the tournament. I think I said on multiple podcasts during the tournament, like this is the X factor for this team. He is so good. He's been incredible to start the year. He's amazing in transition. He's a great leader, all that. He's He was not good against Indiana. 
He was four of 18 from the field, one of six from three. He rebounded it well, sure. He did get into double figures and points, sure. KU won by 22 points over a top 15 team with their best player having his worst game of the season. I mean, that is unbelievable. And again, the defense was great. You can point to better play in the post, which I know you and I agreed on was going to be a major concern this season. But KJ's been great lately. Got good minutes from Zuby Ejiofor. A bunch of individual performances stood out. But the group coming together and being able to play that efficiently, scoring 84 points on a team that good and that well coached while Jalen Wilson had his by far worst game of the season, that was the most impressive part about this to me and gives me way more confidence in what this team can do offensively. Yeah, and it's it's actually kind of funny because I've been saying for a while now that you know Kevin McCuller has kind of stepped into that Jalen Wilson role from last year, being that X factor that does all kinds of stuff, and, and you saw that in this game. McCuller had a had a great game, didn't necessarily have a ton of points, but really, you know, the only Kansas player that that was lights out in terms of uh, you know accumulating points was Grady Dick because he was perfect from the field in the first half. Um, like, look, he, Grady Dick is a guy that he gets on a roll, and there's nothing you can do to stop him, no matter what you try to do. And we saw that for Kansas. But like you said, Grady Dick by himself is not going to win this this you know team a ton of games and he's not going to be able to win you know games by huge margins like this the defenses has to come along and that came from all over the place Jalen Wilson for you know for all the issues he had shooting offensively and and I don't know what it is like it's something he's got to figure out whether that's a you know he needs to be taking better shot selection or if he needs to you know if he's putting too much pressure on himself to be making shots and and they're just not going in like whatever it is he's going to have to figure it out as we get further and further into big 12 play but they have plenty of guys that can take advantage of what's going on and be able to do a lot of different things. The guy though, that stood out to me in this game was Dewan Harris. Like you talk about like, you look at his line, he got 10 points, but I was much more impressed by the 10 assists that he had. It's his first double double of his entire career an absolutely phenomenal performance from him. Um, but he was dishing things that I had no clue. Like, I don't know how he saw them. I don't know how he was able to contort his body the way he needed to, to get those passes to where they needed to be. Like, I just, I was in awe of what Harris was doing during the vast majority of that game. Um, So, yeah, he was the guy that really kind of stood out to me. Obviously, K.J. Adams getting 11 points. You know, Kansas had six players that finished in double figures, including Bobby Pettiford. Um, So, they played really well all the way around. They all played, with the exception, I think, of Jalen Wilson's kind of shooting issues. Like, Yes, his shooting issues were an issue, but other than that, Wilson, I thought, played a really, really good game as well. Um, and, you know, combine that with the issues Indiana had um, with, with injuries and other, other things kind of not going their way, and you end up with the game that you had, which was just a, an absolute demolishing by the Jayhawks of the Hoosiers. I, I have some, uh, some some coworkers who are big Hoosier fans, and so they were less than thrilled to... Uh, to be hearing me talking about the game in our, in our team meeting on Monday. But um, yeah, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. This is a team I think is going to have a lot more games like this, but I think that there are going to be times where a Jalen Wilson having an off night like that is going to be a problem, especially if you go up against a team like a Baylor or someone else who has presence on the inside that can make it so that guys like KJ Adams aren't going to have a great night as well to, to kind of counteract some of what happens with Jalen Wilson. And I think, because you're totally right. I mean, if there's a game against, uh, you know, against a Texas or against a Baylor, you know, name any Big 12 opponent here, and Jalen goes four of 18 from the floor, the odds of KU winning are not going to be great. But it does 
lend a little bit more encouragement to me that these other guys picked him up and you got six players who scored in double figures. Like you said, Bobby Pettiford was really good in this game. He was really, really solid in this game coming off the bench because Juan didn't play a lot in the first half because he picked up those two, two quick fouls. I think he only played 10 of the 20 minutes in the first half. I thought Pettiford played really well. He is looking so much more comfortable this season. I know we've already talked about that. But to get all these different guys who fill roles and fill them well, and they make the smart plays, we know this team's going to be well coached, obviously, but they make smart plays, they make the right play. It's just so impressive when it's clicking. It is, you know, it's the well oiled machine. It is every piece doing exactly what every other piece needs in order for the whole thing to, to keep turning, to keep working. Kevin McCullough is is awesome. I love watching Kevin McCullough play. Dewan Harris makes every right decision, every right play. He is so smart. One of the one of the best quotes from post game was Harris was asked about the stretch in which he scored three straight baskets and he said, "Well, we knew that Indiana's big men like to drop when we get in the lane and I knew it was going to be an easy shot." So he did it. He has gotten to a point where He's not going to shoot the ball a lot, and especially not from distance unless he's wide open. But you can tell he has grown into more comfortability comfortability, excuse me, with his offensive role and with the knowledge that, hey, I don't need to be a scorer, but I need to be able to score if A, called upon, or B, the opportunity is there for me to put some points on the board. Those three possessions early in the second half where he went, down the floor, floater, down the floor, floater, down the floor, floater. That was that kind of situation where he knew, hey, I don't need to pass it here. It's going to be better for us if we end up with me scoring, with me going to the basket, because these guys are going to drop in coverage. I'm going to be given this opportunity, and his floater is maybe the best floater right-handed in the country. He knows he can do that. He is, you know, I've said this before, he's not probably quite the defender especially on the ball that Marcus Garrett was. I mean, Marcus Garrett's one of the greatest defenders in modern college basketball, but Harris is a great defender and he just makes every single thing happen. It all clicks because of him. Now in this game, it clicked even when Pettiford was on the floor and that's awesome, but it just all works so much better when you've got Dewan Harris out there facilitating, scoring if needs be, defending his ass off. It's truly, truly impressive. You know, the funny thing is this team right now, the way they're playing, and I said this on 580 Sports Talk the other day, it sort of feels like this team is already kind of built for a tournament run. And I'm not saying, you know, this is the championship team, repeat coming. I'm not at that point yet, but you've got a couple guys who can play. You've got a superstar. You, you have a true all-American caliber superstar in Jalen Wilson. You've got an elite shooter in Grady Dick who's playing better defense. You have two elite defenders, an elite distributor, and you're getting better big minutes. Again, KJ Adams has been really good as of late, much better offensively, and the defensive energy has been great. You've got a fairly short bench, but guys who can play more minutes and are growing every week. Bobby Pettiford has become a really good backup guard. Whether it's Uday or Edgefor, it feels like Edgefor has kind of had things trending his way a little bit, and he played really well in sparse minutes against Indiana, too. You've got your backup big man. You can go to the five out with Wilson at the five if needs be. You don't need a deep rotation, as we know, when you get to the tournament. Hell, you won the national title essentially running a seven-man rotation last year. You can certainly do that. It's kind of where KU is right now. Like, KU is running a, a seven- or eight-man rotation at the moment, and it's working. And 
it's too early to decide anything and guys go through slumps and there could be injuries and big 12 play will obviously be a beast this year as it always is. But this looks like a KU team that has staying power. It doesn't feel like, yeah, well, they've, you know, they played a couple good teams, but it turns out these power conference foes aren't actually that good. Yada, yada. No, this team feels like it is built for the long haul. And I think this was another example of that, that you can win in different ways. You can win when you just are unstoppable offensively, like they did against Missouri. And you can win when, A, you win with defense, like you did against Indiana, and that you can win when your best player has an off night, like against Indiana. Yeah, I mean, we won't we won't talk about that game against Tennessee, but there was multiple things that had to go wrong in that one for them to, to have mm-hmm. issues there. So, you know, this, like you said, reminds me, I think, a lot of last year's team, the end product of last year's team. Not, not in that they are exactly the same team, but, you know, that team basically had one big component missing, which was a lockdown automatic three-point shooter from outside. Um, whereas this team is missing that automatic big man that you can go to every single play if you need to, and he can do something with it. Um, those are obviously two big, important pieces, but you don't have to have every single big, important piece to have a very, very good team. You know, this is like the only thing that they're missing, right? For me saying, Olay, you know, this is a team that is locked to make the Final Four is they don't have a guy yet who has developed, who is able to be that guy down low that you can go into every single game. I thought Zuby Ejiofor, um, you know, actually played pretty well. I thought he was, he, uh, I believe he was one two-point basket away from also joining, uh, no, I'm sorry, it was Yesifu, wasn't it? That, no, it, it was Ejiofor, so sorry. Yeah, Zuby had eight on yeah, four he, or five shooting. he had shooting. eight yeah. points, right. So he needed one more bucket, and he would have been the other player, you know, the seventh player that would have gotten into double digits. So, you know, Kansas, Kansas did a lot of really, really great things um, in this game, and you know, we have seen a lot of development from this team. It is great to see what they're doing. Obviously, that means that going to this game against Harvard, this final tune-up before we go into the the holiday break, you know, um, before before conference play starts on the 31st of December, like, we... I'm not expecting this to be a particularly, you know, game, or a particularly interesting or close game or anything like that. But then again... We said that about some of these games last year where it was like, there's no way that they're going to have any kind of problems. And then we had a, you know, a game where we had to have uh, uh, Coleman, you know, Jalen Coleman lands come in and bail us out of a game or, you know, things like that. So there's not really a reason to think that that might need be a necessity, is there? I, look, Harvard's going to try hard. They're going to put up a fight and you can't, You can't take a night off. We all remember the other game that really stands out from two seasons ago, fake senior night, because they made the Baylor game officially senior night. That was Marcus Garrett's senior year. And KU looked awesome. KU beat the crap out of Baylor in that game. It was one of the best, like, surprise KU games in a long time. KU was an underdog at home, which won you a lot of money if you were smart and bet on home dog Bill Self. But anyway... They played one more home game that season because it was the COVID year. Everything was weird. They got one final game in before the cursed Big 12 tournament. Play UTEP at home. And UTEP damn near won that game. What was it, a four-point game at the very end? I remember I, I had to watch a replay of it because I was doing high school basketball broadcast that night. Yeah, I kept it was looking bad. at my phone and thinking, what what the hell is going on? Like, is this wrong? Like, are they missing a digit? What What's going on here? And you you can't take any game for granted. Uh, arrival down about 90 minutes or so from Lawrence lost to a D2 school that same year. So you can't take anyone for granted. That being said, 
let me give you one perspective on the game. This is from uh, Stats Perform and their their public facing website, theanalyst.com. They've got their metric. It's called Tracer. That is their their efficiency metric, essentially. You know, Ken Palm, ESPN's got their BPI. This is what Stats Performs is. It's their Tracer metric. Well, according to that stat, that metric, KU going into this game is 47 points better than Harvard. That metric has Harvard ranked as the 327th best offense in the country. There are only 363 teams, okay? And they are ranked 327th. Ken Palm's got them way deep in the 200s, and I've got it right in front of me, 268. So 268 is the upside of the Harvard offense, okay? They are not very good this year. They are not going to be the cream of the crop in the Ivy League this year. KU should roll in this game, and this feels like another game where you should get a bunch of dudes who can score. Like, let KJ Cook down low, and if it's not KJ, Kevin McCullough should be able to get 15 points in this game. You might be able to get more bench production. Hell, this might be a game where you see more MJ Rice. You see a little bit more Joe Yesifu. Some of those, hey, prove to us that you're going to earn those minutes in crunch time if we need you come Texas or West Virginia or Baylor or whoever else later on this season. So KU should roll. I'm not overly concerned about this game. No, a nice little send off for the handful of folks who are going to make it through the winter storm and send them into the Christmas holiday with a win. But I- I'm not really all that concerned about Harvard. They are bad. They're really, really bad, especially on the offensive end. KU should be able to roll in this game. They shouldn't need the crowd energy to win this game. I'll put it that way because they're probably not going to get it. Yeah, I mean, you look at you look at like Ken Palm. Ken Palm has Kansas much, much higher. Um, I think Kansas is fifth, and Harvard is 199th. Look over at uh, CBB Analytics, the the newer site that we are um, definitely using quite a bit. I absolutely love that site. But they have um, them as 184th, and Kansas as like 23rd, or no, I'm sorry, 37th in the overall net rating. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the one thing that Harvard does not do well, which was absolutely crucial for, you know, the the near upsets that we've seen is that they are absolutely awful at shooting the three. Um, like, I mean, it is, it is literally as bad as you can get. You look at their, at their 3% shooting. Uh, I just had it pulled up and I somehow got off of it. There we go. Three point percentage. They are, they make 28.2% of their threes on the season. That is 345th. Like, this is a team that has no business. If they somehow are able to keep this game close, then we know something has gone disastrously wrong. Um, either that or, you know, all the guys have, like, completely checked out and then Bill Self will have plenty of things to talk to them about, um, you know, kind of over the break to get them motivated for that game against Oklahoma State to start the season, to start the uh, conference season. So, like you said, I'm not expecting this to be really an issue at all. Um, uh, you know, that that was the extent of our preview of what we're going to do here on the podcast for Harvard. I'm not going to have an episode talking about Harvard. If we do have another episode this week, it will be talking about the Kansas football uh, recruiting class. I'm still working on trying to get a guest together for that with the holiday coming up. But um, I think that's going to do it for us today. Brendan, any final thoughts before you get out of here for the day? Uh, final thought for me, twofold, one related to this show and one uh, slightly different KU Athletics related. One, this team is good, man, and, and they're better than I thought they were going to be because you and I did the the season preview podcast a month and a half, two months ago now. And I said, look, I, I think this team is going to be good. I don't think they will be as good as last year's team, at least to start the year. I've got concerns about the post and I, you know, I just 
got some concerns. They're going to be good, but maybe not a great team, especially early. Now, this team is close to early season great at this point. That doesn't mean they will be great in Big 12 play. That doesn't mean they will be great come tournament time. But right now, the way they are defending and the way they are getting everybody involved, and this is a few games in a row now, too. I mean, Missouri, a lot of guys got involved. In, I mean, that was a pile on that. That was almost like a mid-major win, and I know that sounds extremely disrespectful, but but it's true. Like everybody pitched in. That game was never close. That game was never competitive. Seton Besides, Hall, since, dudes... since when have we had a problem being disrespectful in Missouri? Like seriously. Well, that that's also entirely fair. You know, Seton Hall, bunch of different guys got involved. That has encouraged me a lot. The way this team is defending right now has been extremely encouraging. And again, the fact that you could do so much with Jalen Wilson not doing a whole lot offensively, that's awesome to see. So I think this KU team is better than I thought they would be. And that is really, really, really fun and has me even more optimistic for this season. Also, one quick football note, uh, transfer from a Big Ten school at a position of need and adding a top 10 player in the state on back-to-back days at tight end, which we saw the tight ends this year. They were playing a key role yeah, in that offense. Um, pretty damn good weekend to be Lance Leipold, Andy Kotelnicki, Jim Panagos, all these different assistants, and obviously the head coach for KU football. Really good week. That's a lot of good momentum heading into the uh, Liberty Bowl coming up next week. That's got me fired up. I'm very excited to add a couple pieces like that. KU just keeps winning. It's just what KU does. Yeah, exactly. You know what? It took a little bit longer, but uh, you know what Tony Hall said when he got hired to be the Kansas running backs coach has officially come true, is that Kansas does not lose. They may take a setback. It may take them a long time, but they will win. And that's what we are seeing. So, um, okay, I am going to go ahead and leave it there. Uh, Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure you do catch Brendan, obviously, on 580 Sports Talk if you have the ability to do that in the afternoons. Uh, and, of course, he writes for us over at Blue Wings Rising. We are going to be doing a full recap of National Signing Day. I'm hoping to do like a live blog talking about all the different signings as we go and pointing to a bunch of different recruiting profiles. We'll, we'll see how that all happens. But by the time you're listening to this, we will probably already be getting in commitments and be able to see how that class is shaping up. Um, this is a class that looks like it's going to be a very interesting one for the Jayhawks. They might be a little bit light on, you know, freshmen compared to what you want to see because we've seen them hit the transfer portal. But, you know, look, I, I, I fully believe in the plan that Lance Leipold has for this for this team and how they're going to continue to grow it. And, you know, at this point you just take whatever talent you can get in whatever situation that makes the most sense and, and roll with it. So, um, all right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for joining me, Brendan. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out where, wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there, just search for rock chalk podcast and subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out, give us a rating and a review five stars, nice comments, be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is. We, just let us know what it is that we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys and get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people who want to try to interview, anything like that, contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, which is over on the Sports Drink Network. Absolutely great networks that we have over there. Um, make sure you catch everything over there to get up to date with all of the teams in the Big 12. You can do that by going to 1012network.com or following them on Twitter at 1012network. Um, make sure you visit our sponsors, Home Field, Home Field Apparel, Prize Picks. And look, again, they're not an official sponsor, but I love the stuff that they're doing over there at CBB Analytics. We're going to be using their stats all season long. So, um, But that's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.
Smartcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.